this latest episode of Sepad Pod. I'm Simon Maybon, and today I'm joined by Leia Bouchater. Leia is a lecturer in development studies at the Lebanese American University in Beirut. She holds a PhD from SOAS. She's also the author of the wonderful new book published by Manchester University Press titled The Labour Movement in Lebanon, Power on Hold. This is part of the Identities and Geopolitics series. It's a wonderful book looking at some really important questions in Lebanon, and I'm absolutely delighted that Leia is here to talk to us today about the book and her work more broadly. So Leia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Simon, for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this. <laughs> I've been um, I've been very fortunate to have a look at, at earlier copies of the book and, uh, and, and to get hold of a copy of it. And it's fascinating. It's a really, really wonderful text and I strongly urge people to, to get hold of a copy. But before we talk about that, can we talk a little bit about you and, and, and your, your trajectory up to that point, please? So um, what was it that got you interested in, in development studies and politics and, and labor more broadly, please? Um, you know, initially my interest comes from trying to understand why the political system in Lebanon is so robust and why we haven't managed to, to, to change the system. So this was like ever since I you know, finished school, started studying political science. This was my initial question. What is it about this system that makes it so, so robust? And um, why change seems impossible? Um, so I, I, I studied uh, political science, international affairs, and then I decided to, um, you know, work more into what I say, study development. Um, I had a short experience with um, the foreign minister of finance, uh, Georges Corm, who wrote a lot about the contemporary history of Lebanon. Um, so it, it kind of also guided me into... Um, you know, development studies. So I went to to SOAS for that, for my postgraduate studies, my master's, my PhD, and um, and here we are. And here we are indeed. Can I press you a little bit on that that trajectory? Then I mean, I understand the the desire to look at uh, political science and to to use political science, international affairs as a means of better understanding the. Mm-hmm. the robustness of, of the Lebanese political system post Taif. But what's the link then with um, with development studies and, and labour within that? Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. George Corm has, a, has a, a key role to play in all of this, I'm sure. But, yep. um, but can you just elaborate on, on that, that move for mm-hmm. you, please? You know, first, I, in my initial, in my first research pieces, I first looked into, let's say, the electoral system, the elections, as a way for change. Then I looked at business associations and the intertwinement with the ruling elite. And this also, it was inspired uh, by my uh, researcher, Josh Korm, who looked a lot at the business elite, um, very well wedded with the political elite and the banking system, because, mm. at the, you know, ever since the beginning of the 2000s, um, we already investigated this relationship as you know a major um, impediment to change in the country. So as as they are, they capture the state and maintain the status quo. Um, and in 
2011, I decided to look into social movements also as a main route to change. And I had read a lot about the strikes and the protests of the labor movement in the 60s and the 70s, uh, which were portrayed, portrayed as a very hopeful period where divisions were more across classes than sex. So I was, you know, and, and it was said also that this movement seemed to have been halted by war. So I decided to investigate the labor movement, its structure, its trajectory, its victories, its defeats, until its total silence and all the attempts to change after the 1990s. Um, so this is, I thought this was, a, a, um, if you want, an area that I would want to understand more, again, in my interest um, in, in struggles for change in, in the history of Lebanon. So there's a there's a real interest in, in change and the capacity for yeah. or the impediments to change that, that date back to your, your undergraduate studies, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, just for, for people who want to work, can you just tell us a little bit about who Georges Cohn is, please? And maybe some people who don't yeah. know who he is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Georges Cohn um, um, studied in France, came back to Lebanon under Fouad uh, mandate. Um, so he, he 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 was part of this, you know, a period of time where uh, there was in the, the first, um, if you want, assessment of poverty and the need for development in Lebanon under the IRFAD mission in the sixties. Um, and he witnessed a, a specific period of Lebanon that we still, you know, read about, about uh, the changes that were done under Fouad Hub, the reforms. It was when the National Social Security Fund was created, uh, etc. Et and then he, 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 he was um, Minister of Finance between 1998 and 2000. Um, and he was one of the first uh, um, financial experts that, um, if you want, um, identified or highlighted uh, or wrote about extensively about the, the, the banking system in Lebanon uh, uh, being unregulated and about our public debt becoming a very big problem. So we tried to, to show how treasury bonds and write about it and document it um, were, were, were in a a critical situation, um, and and he he denounced uh, significantly um, and for a very long time um, the reconstruction policy since the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also a very prolific writer um, who wrote about uh, Lebanon, but also uh, the Mediterranean region um, um, and issues of identities. Um, um, in the region and, and this clash between Orient and Occident. I mean, he has a lot of books. I believe I've got one of his on uh, Arab political thought somewhere, which is fascinating. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Most of his books are in Arabic and French. So maybe, you know, he's, uh, the fact that he's not in English will not, uh, you know, will stop the reading. Sure. I don't know. Like, he's not very known in, in Anglo Saxon literature. Sure. Uh, thank you for that. I think that's just a bit of useful background context mm-hmm. to, um, 
to the, the contextual factors shaping your own research. Okay, well, let's now that we've got that that contextual background, which I think is really really useful in showing your um, your your thinking over time. Let's talk a little bit about the book then, because the book is fabulous. It mm-hmm. really is important, and it's it's provocative in a lot of different ways pertaining to to labour um, and the state and relations between the two, but also it evokes questions about about the capacity for change um, and. Maybe this is me projecting some of my own interests on it, but uh, questions about the reimagining of of identities beyond the the sort of the dominance of, of sectarian identities as well. So, tell us a little bit about what you're trying to do in the book, please. Then, what's what's the main argument that you're trying to make, please? Um, you know, just to also to put this in, in context, uh, you know, as I was putting, you know, the final touches uh, to the book. Um, the uprising took place in 2019, right, in yeah. October. Um, and um, I looked for the workers, okay. and they were not here in this uprising, which made also this book even more relevant. So I was additionally asking, why was the labor movement absent from the uprising? What does this reveal about the economic and political systems in Lebanon? What impact does this absence have on the uprising itself? You know, in terms of its extension, its durability, and how does this uprising affect the labor movement itself? Um, and then, you know, as you know, Beirut exploded in August 4, 2020, yeah. because of incompetence and corruption. And again, change was more than ever needed. And the understanding of contention um, or contentious movement was pinnacled on to any upcoming attempts for change. Um, so workers' struggles in the, in the past, as I write in the book, define the current and future struggles. But the literature on the topic is scant. If you want to understand, you know, the situation in Lebanon, you know, in terms of workers' movement, we did not have enough literature. Um, and studies on the civil war and sectarianism made most of the research on Lebanon, right? Yeah, of course. Um, which have also the effect of impinging the sectarian logic onto scholarship and largely overlooking uh, other elements. So it is in this, you know, context that, you know, the questions of this book are even more uh, relevant. Um, so the, the workers and their trade unions are the principal subject of this book. And I explain the trajectory of the movement in Lebanon, the labor movement, by answering two questions. First one, what are the obstacles that shaped state labor relations and the trajectory and scope of the labor movement? And as a second question, what is the impact of the state's cooptation on the unfolding of the political and economic system in the post-war period. And by this, I mean the cooptation of the labor movement, of course. What is the impact of this cooptation um, on the contentious politics targeting the system today? And of which, like, what is the impact on the October uprising itself? Sure. And it's, it's deeply ambitious in trying to trace all those, those different things, um, which I think you do incredibly well. Just before we delve into it, just tell us a little bit about what you mean by labor and, and workers exactly here, please. Okay, yeah. Specifically, in this book, I focus on the, you know, the, the structure, the organization, 
the trajectory of the general confederation of workers in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. This confederation was created in 1970, and it's an umbrella that gathers under it the federations, and it's around 60 federations today. These federations are agglomerations of unions, and the confederation is the official um, uh, rep- representative of workers uh, in Lebanon. Whenever you have a, a tripartite dialogue, whenever you have you know uh, any negotiations, this is the body that does the negotiations. So in the book, I focus on the creation of, of, of this confederation, its structure, its organization, its represent, uh, representativity, the problems of, you know, uh, democratic, uh, let's say, decision-making, and its um, relation with business associations and the state. And, their, and, and this relationship during the war, you know, and it, it became a relationship with militias that were governing, mm-hmm. and after the war. And when I say state cooptation, I mean, how did the state control from within the decision making of this confederation? And when you're talking about the state, what do we mean by the mm-hmm. state here? We mean, um, so it's, the state is um, the relationship between, let's say, um, I mean, when I say state, the relationship between state and confederation, by state, I mean the government, the Ministry of Labor, um, you know, the different executive, uh, judiciary uh, uh, branches. But I also look into um, political parties, um, po- the ruling political parties and their relationship um, and their um, yeah, relation with the Confederation. Sure. Okay. So... If we can talk a little bit about the evolution of this um, this labor movement and the the broad confederation, how does mm-hmm. that how does that play out across the, the 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 previous few decades? So you say it's established in 1970, and then five years later mm-hmm. or so, there's the outbreak of the civil war. How does the the civil war affect things? And then from that, how does the 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 reconstruction process of the 1990s affects the labor movement? Um, very big question that I'm <laughs> trying to answer uh, briefly. <laughs> and if you want to know more, you'll have to read the book. That's but the you whole know, point of this, this conversation. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not going to tell you everything. <laughs> so, you know, this research speaks to three different concerns. Okay. The first one is to engage the debate on the processes of sectorialization. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of sectorianism, I look to explore the process and mechanisms of sectorialization. The second concern is to contest, and here I answer your question, your, the first part of your question, is to contest the predominant view of the trajectory of the labor movement in Lebanon. So the weakening of the labor movement in the 90s was more of the intensification of liberal policies in place since the you know the independence of Lebanon even before. So there is what I try to show in this book. I contest this predominant view, and I try to show that there is no really a rise and fall from you know the sixties and seventies that are you know said to be the golden years, uh, golden decades of the movement, and then um, the 
the weakening of this movement during the civil war because of sectarian identities. So I tried to show that um, there were there are no resilient pillars for growth for this movement ever since ever since its creation. Um, so there is an exacerbation of liberal policies in the nineties. Um, uh, during the reconstruction mm-hmm. um, and that um, you know affected the labor market significantly but also specifically during the reconstruction there was uh, a big conflict between what we call the troika okay between the three heads of the system the president of the republic the prime minister the speaker of the house this conflict between the troika um, affected um, this, uh, the Confederation because it was used uh, between uh, these three heads um, with you know to to fuel their conflict. So it was kind of used in this allotment of friends in the system. Yeah. So um, let's say it can be used. Let's say uh, some strikes or some protests could could be used by one head of the troika against the other. So it was significantly uh, co-opted for this reason, and then used for this allotment. So it was yes, it was it was uh, let's say um, um, it gained kind of another role, but it was systematically the labor movement was systematically weak ever since its creation. Um, so, if you want, this is a bit uh, the, a summary of the trajectory, if you like. Yeah, that's, that's really useful. Um, you talk about that weakness. How does that weakness mm-hmm. relate to the, the different um, groupings within the, the, the labor movement broadly? Because that, that labor movement and the, the confederation mm-hmm. you identify is representative mm-hmm. of, of people from, from a variety of different backgrounds. Does that matter? Or is it more about the, the coalescence of, of workers? Um, it, it, it matters uh, in the sectarianization process. Yeah. Okay, it's used um, um, in the sectarianization process, but per se, um, the, the, the confederation um, is a group of federations that are uh, geographic federations, sectorial federations, or general federations. So they have unions um, without necessarily specific uh, a common denominator. Okay, if you are a geographic federation, it's different unions from different sectors grouped under the federation, or a sectorial one, and it 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 has a representation. You know, you'll have uh, different political parties affiliation. You know, it's just. Uh, um, um, diverse, but the issue is that, uh, and this is also documented in the book, how the f- number of federations increased um, in the in, in the end of the nineties. It increased significantly, and it's not an organic increase. It's um, it's a, it's an increase that aimed to control the decision making process of the confederation. It was a process. It's a strategy that was used to co-opt the movement. So these federations that were created for that purpose, and I call it the hatching of federations, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, I don't know how to say it. They would not specifically reflect 
the labor market. They don't really reflect the sectors on the ground or any geography. They had a purpose um, to, to, to hijack the decision-making of the board of the Confederation. Okay. I don't, I don't know if this answers your question. Yeah, it, it does. Um, it, I think it, it puts it in the context of, of, of broader structural factors and identity politics mm-hmm. and, and yes. the Lebanese state. So that's that's really useful. Um, I I wonder what building on that that point then. What role does does international development, the sort of neoliberalization of the global economy, play in all of this? Is it more about the local Lebanese context, or is it the interplay of of the local and then the the global? Um, you know this this is you know one of the first questions you know what are the main obstacles yeah. uh, to the trajectory and scope of the movement so one of the obstacles is this ultra liberal elite uh, that molded the state institutions in accordance with their financial and commercial interests mm-hmm. at the expense of the labor rights and conditions so you have soaring informality um you have, uh, you know, uh, dwindling or complete erosion of the rights of the workers um, that helped to, you know, in the neoliberal policies um, after uh, Reconstruction and for them to be also unchallenged. So we still have, let's say, restrictive regulations. The ILO Convention of uh, on Freedom of Association, the number 87, um, you know, is still um, uh, not ratified. Uh, unions still need pre-authorization. Uh, there is still prohibition of organizing in the public sector. And this in the Reconstruction period became even, you know, more harsh. You know, there wasn't any reforms to, to um, along with this Reconstruction, um, to, to, to protect the workers even more. It became even more restrictive. Um, there were also during this period no discussions about the organization and the structure of the movement in terms of you know reviewing right. the internal regulations of this confederation that were the same since the seventies and that were not democratic, not representative. So this was even this was strongly maintained, and on top of it, it was co-opted. Right. Um, so there was no so in so when you have these very you know, this, you have these neoliberal policies uh, during the reconstruction period. It was important to 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 mute any opposition mm-hmm. to these reforms, and the oppositions would be only in case of there's there's a conflict between the elite, uh, the the ruling elite themselves, on the allotment of rent. Sure. Okay, without giving too much away then, uh, I'm conscious that we want people to read the book. Um, let's let's take this up, up to date then. Let's take it up to the challenge of, of 2019 and that, that moment when you're trying to finish the book and and Beirut explodes, as you as you say, in, in, in mid-2020. What role does, does the labor movement play in all of this? You say that it was, um, or you said previously that it was missing. Why was that, and then, mm. and then, what role does it begin to play as as the protests take shape? Um, okay, so 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 first of all, we we I mean, as we said, that decomposing labor power, 
um, explain why this brutal laissez-faire economic model was able to thrive for decades in Lebanon, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Leading to this, I mean, we got an explosion of the poor in 2019, if we can say, and this uh, uprising, you know, in terms of uh, um, the October uprising. Um, But the cooptation of this movement today uh, in this uprising explained the absence of labor power during the October uprising and the limited impact of the uprising. So the labor, the workers were not fighting for change, but instead this confederation maintained the system and perpetuated this political stability and curtailed any push for change. I mean, the confederation just made one declaration. They did not organize any strike and any protest and um, it was completely diluted and uh, weakened. Right. And it, 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 And here we're like, okay, there's a big question about why did this uprising end this way? One explanation is that an, a very important actor was silenced before, uh, you know, for um, for different reasons. It did also help in a way to maintain the system. Mm, sure. So it wasn't just weak and absent. The the confederation had taken a side sure, with okay. the system and the and the elite. Yeah. And that that goes back to what you've been saying about the sort of the cooptation and the positioning within the broader structures of the state and the elite and, and mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I've got one final question, if I may, Leia. I'm conscious that we've, we've taken up quite a lot of your time, but um, it requires a bit of a, a gazing into a crystal ball. And given that, that Lebanon is facing these, these existential, intersectional challenges, where do you see mm. the labor movement going from here? Um, you know, there is a surge today of new forms of workers' organizations, alternatives. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, attempts. Um, there are, of course, no no attempts of reforms or restructuring of the confederation itself, but other forms of work organizations that contest the view um, um, that this um, labor struggle is no, lang- no longer relevant. So, um, if you can say that the economic conditions um, that lead to labor organizing are durable, yeah. right? So we we do witness, um, if you want, uh, professional for now, uh, the professionals being organized in alternative ways. And we do see, um, if you want, some protests, some strikes here and there. Um, and there is, and I also based on the interviews I've, I've done, there is an, an, a realization that we cannot maintain the momentum of our uprising if we don't go back to labor organizing. There is, there is this awareness. And we saw, uh, you know, journalists organizing in an alternative way. Uh, we saw workers and NGOs organizing in alternative ways. Uh, we saw the lawyers, the engineers, these are professionals. This 
might trickle down to 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 to, to other sectors and to other types of occupations and uh, types of employment. Um, but I mean, we, we will have to see. Sure. Wait and see. I think that's the, yeah. the sensible, <laughs> the sensible answer. <laughs> but there is for sure an, an, a realization that um, if the role of the labor movement was not very important, the state cooptation would not have been so systematic. Yeah, you know, since the nineteen nineties, it's it's a proof, it's an evidence of the capacity of the labor movement. And there's also a realization that to move forward steadily uh, and to contain a momentum, we need labor organizing. And this is something that I've, uh, you know, uh, witnessed on the ground uh, from, you know, the protesters, the activists. Mm -hmm. um, um, so, so, let's see, as I said, this will not be the last uprising. Yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right. Well, Leah, thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely fascinating to, uh, to talk with you about the book and your work. And I strongly urge people to get hold of a copy of it. It's, it's an excellent and really thorough bit of research. And it, it really will, um, will, will shape debates on these questions for, for years to come. So thank you so much again, Leah. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Summer, for our kind words. And thank you for, for this discussion. A huge thank you to Leah for her time just now. You can find her on Twitter at Leah Buchata. That's at Leah Buchata. And you really should get hold of her book, The Labour Movement in Lebanon Power on Hold. It's excellent. As always, thank you for listening. Please do like, comment, share, subscribe, etc., etc., etc. It's always very much appreciated if you can do that. And uh, till next time, do take care. Thank you for listening.